Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, the show about the critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I'm Michael, and with me is my co-host, Cameron. Wow! Welcome back to Homestuck! <laughs> yes, that's right. This is uh, episode 7, uh, part 2, and it introduces everyone's favorite character, the radio DJ. Yeah! Wow! I, I, uh, the, this is half radio DJ. This is half, uh, you know, the the the, the wolf man, uh-huh. and uh, and half Doctor Teeth. Whoa! Uh, I don't <laughs> know, man. Whoa. Kermit. Hold, hold <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kermit! Wow! I want to play a game. Um. Hey, Kermit! You want to play a game? <laughs> <laughs> Think imagination. Uh, <laughs> what am I holding on about? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just thinking of all all the beautiful uh, Muppet references uh, that we've experienced as part of this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but for real, episode seven, part two. We are continuing with Act Six, uh, beginning. Wait, with I gotta Act... go back to the Muppets. No, okay, hold, hold okay, back to, back to the Muppets. I gotta right. go back to the Muppets. Uh, it wouldn't be the show if I didn't interrupt you in the middle of something to tell okay. you about something unrelated. Uh, so, if you've been watching Holy Moly, do you watch Holy Moly? No. Holy Moly is a program uh, in which people compete at mini miniature golf, mm-hmm. uh, teensy golf. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the whole shtick is it's like a little it's half mini golf and half wipeout, right? So they yeah. play these like big weird things, and then they gotta like, you know, do do some things that are dangerous, and if they uh, mess up, you know, walking on the big ball, they fall in the water or whatever, mm-hmm. and they get a stroke penalty. <laughs> Just, it really adds insult to injury in a very real and tangible way. Mm-hmm. So uh, this season, they have called upon the Muppets to save Holy Moly. That's like the season-long yes. storyline. Okay, I'm sure you've seen the advert. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the ads, which is how I am aware of this. I'm interested mm-hmm. in hearing what you have to say. Well, they've done something to the Muppets. The? They've harmed them in some way. Uh huh. Fozzie is no longer funny. Uh huh. He like yeah. tried to do a bunch of bits. Yeah. And they aren't good. Hmm. And Fozzie's so easy to do. You just make him say a bad pun. And he goes, waka, waka, waka. Uh-huh. Right? It's not complicated. Yes. They've beefed it. Mm-hmm. They've I mean, forgotten di- how to Muppet. Disney has n- not known what to do with the Muppets since they acquired them. No. And it's so dis- it's so easy. Yeah. Just have them make jokes as if it's the 1970s. Yeah. <laughs> and all the references are to Charles Grodin. <laughs> and that's it. That's all you got to do. It's so I, easy. Like the reason, uh, the even the ads for oh, Holy Moly have jumped out to me it was precisely like the fact that the Muppets are there now because it really does feel uh, to bring it to Homestuck. It feels like the Colonel Sprite of a TV show. Yeah, right. It's like, what's the idea here? Uh, okay, it's Wipeout. Um, and throw in mini golf, and we need something else. Throw in the Muppets. The Muppets are there too, and then there's that one guy who's like a a well-known character actor who shows up in like every sitcom uh playing you're talking like, about rob riggle 
is is uh, I don't know his name. I'm going to look him up uh-huh. now, but it's probably Rob Riggle, I think. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's the he, one talking to the Muppets. Yes, yeah, he's the one who he he shows up in like every sitcom produced in the 2000s, and he always plays like uh some asshole rival to one of the main mm-hmm. characters. Like that is mm-hmm. what he does. <laughs> he was also in uh, Human Giant occasionally. Mm. Show up in, the, in that television program. Yeah, uh, would it astonish you for me to tell you that there was a whole, I believe in the previous season, uh, this is the fourth season, so I think this would have been the third, uh, that was called, uh, I forget what the thing was called, but they had to um, uh, make a particular thing, and the challenge, uh, you know, after the first stroke, was uh, getting Long John Lovitz, who was literally John Lovitz with an eye patch. Dressed oh, as a okay. <laughs> John Lovitz, who has been stretched to inhuman proportions. <laughs> uh huh. No, no, it's the Long John. He's uh, Lovitz wearing a Long John. I guess is the the pun. Who knows, right? That's a better pun than what they gave Fozzie Bear, by the way. But uh, but yeah, so John Lovitz was there, and if you did well, he did it with one eye patch on, and he would chip your ball across the water for you. And uh, if you did poorly, he would wear two eye patches. <laughs> Obscuring his vision entirely <laughs> before chipping your ball across the water, and it was John Lovitz just being John Lovitz. Uh huh. No additional joke. That so that's the Colonel Sprite nature, absolutely of mm-hmm. of uh, the thing. Also, uh, Stephen Curry is involved. Okay. Yeah, he's like the creator of the show, and he's like part of part of the oh. joke. Okay. Um, they had a he is he's been kidnapped within the current continuity. I know everyone wants the update about this, but he's been kidnapped within the show. By uh, who's that little shrimp fella from the Muppets? Oh, uh, I think his name is Pepe, actually. Yeah, it's Pepe the Shrimp. You're right. Uh, Pepe the Prawn, I believe. Yes. And he is he has kidnapped Stephen Curry to the point where at the award ceremony at the end of the one of the episodes, they had to get a lookalike in, and everyone had to just pretend that it was Stephen Curry. <laughs> so anyway, if you're looking for something just as baroque and strange as Homestuck, <laughs> and, which is happening on primetime television. <laughs> and is like the marquee summer show uh, for a television network. Check out Holy Moly. Homestuck uh-huh. made this world. <laughs> yeah. Golly. Oh, should I jump into the summary then? Oh, yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> In her bedroom on Prospect, Jane sees the clouds of Skya presenting her a vision of the very tower she is standing in exploding with blue light. Then Jack Noir, a new one from the new game session, not Spade Slick or the one who is a Sephiroth dog, appears and stabs her to death. Jack is very happy that the Prospect Purpo Cold War has taken on a new angle, namely preemptive kid murder, which also explains how Jake's dream self was killed earlier, since the Black Queen has been deposed by a mysterious new monarch with a proactive stance. However, Jane's body begins to glow with the power of life, her game aspect, and the tower they are in explodes, just as foretold. Act 6, Act 2 begins as Jane wakes up on Earth, having been safely teleported away from the earlier mailbox explosion by a wily, omnipotent white cat that has harassed her and her friends their entire lives. They call it the God Cat. Jane's dad sends her inside. She chats with Kid Mom and promises to be less skeptical about some of the stranger claims Kid Mom makes regarding genocidal cake alien conspiracies. To prove she's not full of shit, Kid Mom uses some weird experimental technology to teleport Jane's Colonel Sassaker book out of her room. 
but something goes wrong on Kid Mom's end and she has to leave. Kid Mom also warns Jane not to run a pirated copy of Spurb she sent earlier. Of course, Jane immediately does so, and it turns out Kid Mom inserted a virus that causes Jane's computer to explode. Luckily, she's again rescued by the Godcat. Kid Bro messages Jane to warn her, seconds too late, and explains Kid Mom was probably genuinely trying to dissuade Jane from playing the game, which she thinks is all part of the Batter Witch's plot. He mentions that he's heard Jane also experienced an assassination attempt on Prospect because his dream self, like Dave's, is already awake on Purpo, where he tries to keep a low profile and monitor Kid Mom's dream self, who tends to sleepwalk. He has the robot bunny, Little Seb, install a real version of the game on Jane's dad's computer and begins to act as her server player just as we switch perspectives to Kid Mom, who is actually named Roxy Lalonde, and she is absolutely bonkers for wizards. Roxy contemplates her famous author mother's epic fantasy novel series, Complacency of the Learned, which concerns Calmasis, an androgynous young wizard's apprentice who leads their fellow students in a rebellion against their magical teachers. Roxy also likes to drink, and so following an afternoon martini, she takes a nap, causing her dream self on Purpo to wander out of its tower and into the furthest ring, where she obliviously passes through a series of dream bubbles, waking only when she catches a glimpse of Rose. Kidbro, meanwhile, is named Dirk Strider, and fucking hell does this guy have a thing for puppets. He explains to Roxy that Jane's skepticism of the Batter Witch's story is perfectly reasonable, given the information available to her, and their best bet is to roll with some apparent predestination and enter the game. He's already made all sorts of plans to make sure this process runs smoothly. Privately, Dirk's autoresponder informs Roxy that it thinks today Dirk is likely to use the occasion of the game to make a romantic overture to the guy everybody wants to get down with, Jake English. Before breaking the news, Roxy tries to build up some goodwill with Jane, resulting in the teleportation trick I've already described. However, the god cat interferes on Roxy's end and causes the death of her own cat, Friglish, who is absolutely just Rose's cat, Jasper's, and he gets crushed by the Sassaker book. Roxy heads off to dispose of the body, using a series of interconnected window portals scattered throughout her house and its associated laboratory. She chats a bit with Yu Yu, who explains various game mechanics and aspect power profiles from her vantage point of the terminal we saw very briefly at the beginning of the act. While traveling through one of her portals, Roxy sees her own sleepwalking dream self, thus revealing the connective space between the portals is the furthest ring. Meanwhile, Dirk hangs out with some of the rapping robots he's built, reflects on his love of Rainbow Dash from My Little Pony, and chills with his awesome puppet buddy Lil' Cal. Like Roxy's mom, Dirk's older bro was a famous creator, responsible for a series of boundary-pushing artistic projects that looked and acted like absolute trash constantly, including the Sweet Bro and Hella Jeff film franchise. Both Roxy's mom and Dave's bro used their work as protest against the conspiracies of Betty Crocker, the Batter Witch herself, and I am speaking in the past tense because it turns out they are both also dead. The autoresponder grills Dirk in an attempt to find out more about his planned romantic overture to Jake, which seems to involve Dirk having control of every single one of his friend's computers to run the game session entry. Yu Yu chats with Dirk some more about game classes and aspects. She reveals she has some reservations about her own upcoming game session, which she will play with her very difficult-sounding brother. 
Dirk gets Yu Yu to admit that she has written fanfiction about him and his friends, which she is embarrassed to show him. But she does produce some neat fan art of what Dirk might look like if he went god tier. Through indirect glimpses, we also learn Yu Yu wears a green suit, much like Kalmasis from Complacency of the Learned, and sports a set of extremely large and unique troll horns. On Purpo, Dirk's dream self is attacked by one of Jack Noir's agents, whom he easily dispatches. At Yu Yu's suggestion, he drops his low profile and puts the corpse on display, announcing his presence to everyone, including Purpo's new ruler, who is none other than the Troll Empress, aka her imperious condescension, aka the Condess, aka the Batter Witch, aka Betty Crocker. Roxy informs Jane that Dirk plans on confessing to Jake, and Jane is both surprised that Dirk is gay and confused by the idea that Jake may be open to such an advance. On his island, Jake spars with Dirk's brobot and absolutely gets his ass kicked before losing consciousness. While asleep, he sees in the darkness of the dream bubbles a strangely familiar yet unfamiliar figure, a smiling troll girl in a blue dress emblazoned with a Scorpio symbol. Jake wakes up. The past ain't even past, Michael. Past ain't even past. Great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yep. No one can stay dead forever. Got to well, resurrect uh, them in some sort of alternate universe version of them. Yeah. Uh, as as uh, people start calling uh that that blue troll girl we just saw, as they call her uh, a kind fang because she seems very friendly. <laughs> Based on the one image I have of her, I cannot tell yeah. you one way or the other. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this has probably the best joke that the that the comic has had in a very long time. Oh yeah. Well, you know, we talked about Shush Pap as as being one of the better moments. Very funny, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, this uh, compooner. <laughs> 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 it's on four 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 seven, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> Roxy's. Hey, J yeah, it's her saying, "Hey Jane, step away from your compooner," and then, and then, asterisk pooter, <laughs> and then make a little face, and then it explodes. Mm -hmm. But. <laughs> the culmination of all of her goofy misspellings of everything being Kabooner. Yes. <laughs> I laughed at that. That's funny. That's really yeah. good. Yeah, uh, uh, Roxy's a really interesting character in that way, because on the one hand, uh, her voice incorporates, like, the thing that Sweet Bro and Hella Jeff does of, like, constantly, like, mangling the language, right? Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, I also feel like her style, Roxy's style of like talking is maybe, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a called shot, but it does feel kind of uh, anticipatory of like the way people are going to talk online going forward of not really like caring about uh, misspellings or like sort of rolling with them and also just generally being kind of um, both extremely energetic and extremely sarcastic at the same time. Mm -hmm. yeah everyone became a dave yeah dave made this world like <laughs> Ro roxy is a dave uh filtered through misspellings and yes. uh booze yes yes and like I mean, a, her an internet like a very 2011 like funny tumblr drunk 
Ha ha ha. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't talked about any of their chum handles um, because it, frankly, is not that important. But she does uh, uh, get the uh, Dave signification here because she's tipsy nostalgic uh, with uh, nostalgic spelled with a G like, you know, gnosis or Gnosticism. Uh, so she's TG in the same way that Dave was TG, whereas Dirk is mm-hmm. TT. So uh, th- there's a, you know, we've we've moved from everything before into act six. And one way to think about this is, you know, the clue that the comic gives you is that we have these two fourth walls that are set up, you know, across from each other. Um, you can think of them as like sort of reflections or inversions or transpositions of one another. Uh, so we get, uh, you know, John, like John's character position gets switched to, uh, Jane, right? So the gender flips, um, and the same thing happens uh, here as well with both of the Purpo kids, uh, where, uh, you know, Dave is technically connected most closely to uh, Dirk, but Dirk is temperamentally much more of the Rose in, in right. uh, this kind of situation. Um, so that's interesting. Like, I think that's fun. And people uh, reading it seem to think that it's fun. There's there's something uh, I don't know pleasing or pleasant about like working through all of these transposed connections uh this is something that the fandom is really into at this particular point um sometimes it's yeah. got good stuff i i mean uh yeah the the form overwhelms content right like mm-hmm. the uh, tracing the way that the form is given to you and the way that things are, have shifted around is the content itself you know that that's the thing to engage with and to think about so that makes a lot of sense to me that people are into it um, because I, you know, that's, it's the same, uh, I don't know, apparatus or the same maneuver as, um, figuring out the game rules, right. You know, mm-hmm. that happened in X one and two, right. It's the same deal, right. The same kind of, uh, operation from the fan base side. So I, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, the, these early parts of act six are strange because I mean, not strange, but. Like we're we're just doing a bunch of scene setting, right? Like we can we can right. talk about stuff, but it's clear uh, this was I, I, one thing to talk about. I guess uh, is that historically this was kind of excruciating in the sense of uh, once it is clear that uh, we're going to get five more acts of Act Six, uh, all bets are kind of off the table in terms of like what's our pacing look like, what's the structure doing here. Um, and being able to know that the thing is finished already, uh, you know, lets you approach it more in a way where you're like, okay, obviously, whatever's important here is going to get brought up in the next, uh, you know, 3,500 pages that we have left or what have you. Um, so uh, uh, a funny note on that is that at one point uh, on Tumblr here, uh, Hussey estimates or someone estimates. Actually, I know. I, is it Hussey? I don't know. Did I write this wrong in my notes? Maybe I did. Someone estimates that there's a year and a half left of Homestuck. It ended in 2015? 2016. 2016. Okay. And it just well, turned 2012. So Sometimes a few panels are uh, only 10 days. So, you know. Some, yeah. Sometimes 3,000 pages of panels only are technically phenomenally 10 days. So, who could know? <laughs> you know, sometimes three years takes a while. Well, that's a bummer. Uh, no, this I think I said this last part episode, right? But the 
just looking at the dates at the bottom uh, over mm-hmm. this, uh, you know, this is what, 250, 225, something like that. You know, mm-hmm. wh- however many panels we read for this, how many mm-hmm. pages. Uh, excruciatingly slowly paced, even in the archival thing, right? Of like, okay, all right. And, oh, there's, okay, new character. Okay, great, 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 great. Okay, next thing. Oh, just a long chat log with like kind of some stuff going on, but not really. Um, like you said, it's a lot of scene setting. Uh, it's particularly a little bit weird because it's a lot of scene setting. Like really the two things that happen, like as far as events that occur in this reading that we did for this part episode, are at the very beginning when my second favorite guy, Jack Noir, <laughs> shows up <laughs> and he's like starting the game before the game. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really cool because it's a consequence of what we talked about before, right? Or we talked about in the last part episode, which is that uh, if this is a world that has been developed in order to prep everyone for the, you know, the game, for Suburb when it happens and everything going on to win the game, quote unquote, and if the kids get started early, that means Jack Moore can get started early too. Mm-hmm. Um, and his way of getting started is just killing them all as soon yes. as possible with all of his little <laughs> goofball buddies. Yeah, and uh, uh, the, so incompetent. <laughs> yes, the courtyard droll is the one who killed Jake, uh, and did it by feeding his sleeping dream self peanuts because Jake has a peanut allergy, which is a callback way back to I think Act One, where uh, someone tells John to eat peanuts, and it's like, no, you're allergic. <laughs> uh, and also the fact that like he is like, I took the peanuts. And I ate some of them because I like eating peanuts, but I kept enough peanuts so I can make sure to kill this kid. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's, I, you know, I I don't know. There's something really great too about all these other characters being new characters who are like riffs on people we've known before. So there's this little bit of a game of like, okay, well, you know, oh, that's interesting. The person you think might be the Rose really is the Dave. You know, right and and there's something fun there but jack norris just jack nor right <laughs> like he, he's not different uh, none of his his buddies are different they're all the same kind of you know character type because they're kind of this um infrastructure of the game essentially you know that's that's yeah. what we've been told uh in the past and i think that's great also on a 4396 when she turns around and gets stabbed the verb there is greet for the sound effect uh-huh which is uh, <laughs> a funny little turn but so so yeah so as far as like things that happened the very beginning here and then the very end mm-hmm. you know when when pseudo vriska shows up yeah um and everything in the middle is just kind of some stuff that occurs. Yeah, just, I mean, this is really, this is the chunk of reading that's about introducing you to uh, Roxy and Dirk, mm-hmm. right? In the same way that in the last thing we learned about the high weirdness of Jane and Jake as characters whose basic conception is, what if old people were young people, but still old people in some way? Uh, we didn't really even talk about the fact that, like, Jake's entire, like, voice is about him, like, both both Jake and uh, Jane, but uh, Jake kind of more specifically is, like, using these really old, outdated exclamations and interjections. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, really cornball stuff. Uh, and, yeah, so then we get uh, just more time with Roxy and Dirk, who sort of, you know, in, in parallel to the way that Rose and Dave offset uh, John and Jade are sort of darker and more depressive as individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like Roxy, Roxy has a lot of stuff going on with, you know, uh, like she, she kind of is crushing on everybody. She has a crush potentially on like all of her friends, uh, but also feels like, uh, you know, 
no one is really there for her because Jane doesn't trust her. She can't move on Jake because, uh, you know, Jake is kind of marked out for Jane. And then we have this issue with Dirk, who is uh, our our like confirmed queer character. Um, not really mm-hmm. the first, depending on how you've been understanding things with Kanaya and Rose. And let me tell you, there are people in the Something Awful thread who are extremely bad at understanding what's going on with Kanaya and Rose. Uh like fairly recently, the Kanai and Rose thing is like pretty explicit, right? Isn't <laughs> yeah. there a chat log where they're like, "We are in love"? <laughs> I mean, like, it's not that explicit, but it's pretty close. So, I mean, this is this shows you how much uh, uh, the world has changed, right? And how much Homestuck made it. Uh, but like, there there are people in the Something Awful thread who even recently were talking about like the Kanaya Rose thing as like a theory, <laughs> like that fan theory that Kanaya and Rose have something going on. Okay. Um, and, uh, we had hints about Dirk's sexuality in the previous reading, um, specifically when, uh, Jane says to Roxy, she's like, you know, like, why don't you make a move on, on, uh, Strider? And Roxy's like, you are so naive. It is cute. Uh, and Jane does not understand that. And that is because, uh, true to kind of her weird old woman characterization, she does not understand that, uh, Dirk is gay. Um, and when that hint first showed up in the something awful thread uh people were like oh this is definitely like this is setting up a troll right this is going to troll the shippers somehow Mm -hmm. because uh fandom uh at this point uh and i'm like this is still true in various ways but like what i recall from the way that like the turns that fandom was taking at this specific juncture um a lot of people, and this ties in with uh, what we said about canon last time, a lot of people were uh, demanding, like, canonical confirmation of, uh, like, the sexuality of characters uh, in terms of, like, what is this What is this media property representing? Um, because uh, uh, the, the idea of queerbaiting, um, like, is gaining traction. Like, not in, like, a we love queerbaiting, give us more, but more like, here is a thing that uh, uh, stories often do. They queerbait you. And, like, the, the fandom response to that is to be like, don't queerbait us, like, confirm things. Don't imply, don't be, uh, you know, coy about it. Don't let us just read between the lines. Have expressed attraction. Have kind of canonical labels attached to these characters and uh, the identity categories that they represent well, do you know what the trajectory of that you know because i just don't associate that term with showing up so early and maybe it did right maybe yeah. i'm just you know i i definitely would have thought it would have shown up in you know in the next couple of years like 2012 2013 and so what what is like the what's the key text that they're talking about i i'm gonna be honest to with you i don't really know like I, okay. I think um, to some extent it comes out of uh, like the Wizard School series in the way that uh, right. J.K. Rowling handled uh, Dumbledore's sexuality. Um, I think that had kind of an effect on the way that this got talked about in fandom. But I don't know like right. where where Ground Zero is uh, for this. Although I do know, I remember reading posts on Tumblr oh, about maybe pe- Sherlock too. Yes, Sherlock was big for this. Okay. Like, because sh- Sherlock, yeah, right, what okay. Sherlock would do in its homestucky way, um, is it would constantly. I think Sherlock is actually a good missing puzzle piece here. Thank you for bringing it up, because what Sherlock would do, um, would have it would they would have uh like uh scenes between uh John and Sherlock that you know uh, wouldn't. 
were only there for the joke of like, what if you read this as these two guys being gay, even though that was right. never what was happening in the show. And I know lots of uh, Sherlock fans eventually got really sick of that. Um, yeah, right. Because they were constantly I mean, it, it, I, that's why that's why I like. I remember reading those criticisms criticisms of the show as it was coming out, but the language of queer baiting was not there yet, which is why mm. I was kind of wondering about the trajectory. But I, I don't know either that you know it's not a it's not a Michael solved this for me. But I just yeah. didn't know if you had a better sense of that. But that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I know I remember reading posts on Tumblr before this um that talked about the Rose uh Kanaya thing as queer baiting because mm it could be like because it was potential like it was possible to read it uh more platonically i guess although like 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 you say i think by this point definitely like by the time that kanaya and rose are basically like agreeing to stay on the meteor together for the 3 years even though they don't have to like and that's like specifically like kanaya and rose have that conversation it's pretty clear what's going on there <laughs> mm-hmm well, and of course, uh, you know, in the same way that we have uh, sword lesbians in the year 2022, we chainsaw lesbians all yes. the way back in 2010. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, that, that, that's interesting. That's an interesting bit. But, and yeah, I mean, it seems like... So do you think this confirmation here of, of Strider's sexuality, you think that's like, okay, here, fine. No, so... Uh, I uh, quit, you, quit bothering me about canonical sexuality. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think that that's what's up. Oh, okay. But okay. the reason for this, and this is where things will, you know, you, you, when you make analyses of a of a text, a narrative, a media object, you always want to like flag, right? Like, what are the parameters? Like, how how are boundaries getting set on on your reading? This is one of the reasons why I'm constantly pointing to my own experiences in the something awful thread because this has such an influence on how I understand this thing. This is also why I keep bringing up Wizardy Herbert, uh, which is Hussey's unfinished Harry Potter uh, uh, sort of parody novel that uh, has a lot of material that gets folded into Homestuck. And in Hussey's typical way, right, Hussey is constantly repurposing their old work uh, in, in their new work. Um, and uh, Wizardy Herbert, which I will talk about again more later when it gets even more explicit here, uh, was written by Hussey, I think, when they were in undergrad in, like, the mid-2000s. And this question of, like, queer characters in uh, a children's fantasy, like, a young adult fantasy novel uh, shows up there. And so um, this allows me, you know, here uh, assembling this argument, to say... Uh, I am pretty sure that this Dirk thing is not just like, oh, the fandom wants a queer character and I'm going to give them a queer character. Uh, there's something going on here that Hussey has been thinking about um, and wanted to put in in something that was not Homestuck at all and is now putting here. Hmm. Yeah, um, like, well, like, I, I don't want to say too much. I don't want to make this sound like too ominous, but I like I don't want to say too much because like. We're going to read more of this and we're going to see how this develops. Um, but I think like Hussey is genuinely interested in having uh, uh, like a queer relationship here. Like, I think that that is I think that is 100 percent the case. Um, I may be wrong. Like, if so, Andrew emails in my profile. Let me know. <laughs> um, but uh, like, I, I think that uh, this thing with Dirk is is pretty like 
uh, sincere in terms of like, this is this is a part of a story that I want to tell, right? And this is not being told like to maximize engagement, even though it does fit into what uh, the fandom is sort of demanding or desires. And part of uh, the way that you can sort of like, I guess, see like the, the hussy fingerprints on this is that Dirk does not say, by the way, I'm gay. Uh, like, let's all have like a feelings jamboree now, which is the precise sort of like corny after-school nonsense that is anathema to Hussey. Uh, in fact, Dirk never really says anything. Dirk just, right. like, is into Jake and, like, pursues that desire. And it's a, a thing that gets sort of parsed out uh, by the other characters um, in sort of vaguer terms. And in the Something Awful thread, this is actually part of, like, what results in some confusion here, where they're like, wait a minute, like, I thought this was going to be a troll, Right. I thought this was like a setup for a joke mm -hmm. on the shippers that doesn't right. seem to be happening. But at the same time, we're not getting like the feelings jamboree that I assumed would come in any media that had this kind of representational policy. Right. There's something that like the uh, uh, there's a, a segment of the readership here um, that it's not quite parsing, I think, what is what is happening. And then, of course, uh, because the future hits you in the face like a brick, uh, uh, the this, this revelation in this reading results in the thread going on like a two page tear where people are debating about whether or not having a uh, gay teenager is sexualizing children. A gay fictional teenager. Oh, <laughs> that hit me in the face like a brick. I didn't yep. definitely didn't think we were going there. Oh, uh, dear people in the thread from uh, a decade ago, young adult fiction has existed for a very long time. And that's the whole deal mm -hmm. <laughs> is that they're weird little gremlins with all kinds of desire. Right. Uh -huh. um, uh, w welcome to the ages of, oh, I don't know, 12 to 30. Right. So, yeah, that right. happens in the thread. There are people who are like, well, like, this fictional 16-year-old is gay. I think that's sexualizing children. Uh, uh, and then other people are saying, like, no, this has still got to be a troll. Uh, like, there's there's got to be something happening here, like, that that's going to uh, be some sort of troll to the shippers. Because this comic so clearly hates the shippers. It does not clearly hate the shippers. Like, it's it, absolutely the wildest thing. I'm sorry, I just can't, like... You know, thinking about all the reference material that goes into this, right? So, like, the never-ending story. The entire engine of the never-ending story is, like, the, this young boy who mistakes uh, his desires for the good, right? And invites evil into his life, right? Mm -hmm. you know, he, he's, like, what, 13, something like that? Mm -hmm. um, every single, like, movie that gets referenced, it's a teen movie. All of the teen media from the 1980s is entirely about this, right? Is about, like, what's going on in puberty, Mm -hmm. Right, like you have to be just so ideologically buffooned, <laughs> right? Yeah. Buffoonified to not to to be like I don't know a, a gay sixteen year old, a gay fifteen year old, no way, buddy. Yeah. Like, have you have you talked to a teenager ever in your life? <laughs> That's that's the whole problem. That's why you have to like keep them separated from one another. Our entire social system is built out of the recognition that teenagers will get up to things you don't want them to <laughs> if you don't police them. That's mm -hmm. the whole deal. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't. I, it's just blowing my mind. Well, people in that thread, you were wrong. You didn't get it. Well, I mean, other things uh, uh, to sort of like note about ideology. The other kind of line of critique that emerges here. 
uh, that I referenced last time is that people mm. are like, well, I don't like this because it's just clearly a hussy pandering to Tumblr. The Tumblr click has gotten to hussy, right? The they're like suddenly the I mean, not even suddenly, because this is actually a, a discussion that's been happening. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it, the entire question of like whether or not this comic is there to troll the shippers, um, uh, pivots on this uh, uh question of you know who who is the audience or like of the audience who is in on the joke and who isn't in on the joke. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, mm, it's like the social is defined by something. I can't quite put my finger yeah, on it, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, and like the, there, there's a strong sense emerging, uh, among certain people here that, uh, this comic was one thing and now it's become another thing. And that thing is Tumblr. That thing is shipping. That thing mm. is fangirls squeeing, whatever. Uh, and squeeing. I have, oh my God, I haven't heard that in a million years. And oh my God, talk about uh, a thing just attacking you from another angle <laughs> oh my god squeen oh next you're gonna mention glomping <laughs> uh friglish gets glomped by a big old book <laughs> uh, oh um Damn. uh but yeah so uh, uh there there's I, this is just so interesting to to read through again to see these kinds of mm-hmm. conversations happening and note that these kinds of conversations are still happening today, uh, not just around young adult fiction, but uh, about the ways that, uh, you know, we allow teenagers to be in the world. Um, and we're seeing kind of the the emergence of these ideological like uh, uh, front lines in terms of, you know, well, this thing is, uh, you know, last last part of so I call I said SJWs, which is actually a couple years out now, I think. Mm-hmm. But like the the Tumblr SJW connection there is very much a thing that gets solidified in the coming years is huge during like Gamergate or whatever. Um and yeah, like we are, we are seeing that stuff start to percolate up through the culture, uh, through the response to this comic. Yeah, and and you can feel it in the comic too, right? Like there, there is not a Dave. Uh, the, the Dave here is like the trickster Dave, you know, uh, 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 Roxy, right? Uh-huh. She's she's a scamp. She's rude. She says things that are like goofy or silly. She is not an internet asshole. Right. Right. Like, like the, she's not an irony, bro. No uh-huh. one here is an irony, bro. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, yeah, I mean, you could one could imagine if that was the thing that really brought you to this comic. Um, and this is also makes a lot of sense, too, about like, you know, something I said early in the comic, which is like of all the co- of all the characters from the beginning, uh, Dave had the furthest to grow. Mm hmm. And now kind of thinking about that, uh, you know, that, that he started so low that if he goes to like a normal character, you know, to not being the, the person he is, that will look like a lot of character growth. Um, and that's like that that has happened. Right. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I don't know if I, my call shot was exactly correct, but but the the reason for that is he just becomes more of like a mainstream Internet user who is not an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, and that look, you know, that has the illusion of character growth. Everyone here at the beginning begins from the position that they're not an internet asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you are invested in this thing as someone who is still, you know, 2010, 2011, 
still holding on to being an internet asshole, which when we go a couple years ahead, that's a big part of the right wing, you know, emergence of internet hate groups is that mm-hmm. people want to hold on to a mode of discourse, uh, a mode of if you're offended, you're a buffoon, a mode of this is all just play and none of it is serious. And if you think any of this is political, then uh, you are doing something to the culture, not me. They want to hold on to that, right? They want to hold mm-hmm. on to a form of being on the internet and in the world that that is going extinct, that is becoming in, unacce- uh, uh, unacceptable. I was going to say inaccessible, still very accessible, mm-hmm. uh, but unacceptable, right? The a way of treating people with a kind of casual cruelty, um, and uh, you know this kind of '90s way of being of like the offense is the f- the humor, uh, saying the thing that is out of line with the rest of the world. Uh, that that is like the most important thing to do. And that, like, look, flash forward to 2021 or whatever, and you get Whitney Cummings being like, uh, the, the the job of the comedian is to take you through the haunted house of, of society or whatever, right? <laughs> like that that position, right? The idea of the comedian or the truth teller is someone who will ultimately offend, but will offend in order to elaborate something real about the world. That that's the you know the root of this kind of maneuver here that like mm-hmm. being truthful about things means saying things that might hurt other people's feelings and that is not just like maybe something that has to be done occasionally but the ultimate virtue you know mm-hmm. uh, and so that goes away I mean by the time we get to 2012 2013 people who are doing that are it's okay to call them an asshole mm-hmm. right it's it's okay and you know we there there are people in. Uh, our neck of the woods, you know, in the uh, in the internet parlance, right? Who that was a splitting moment mm-hmm. of like you can't con- you can't continue to act the way that you were before because mm-hmm. that is not the way to, to do. And you know, I I don't think I was ever I was never a, a, one of those right in that way. But certainly the way that I uh, comported myself on the internet and probably you as well, Michael. Uh, you know, before twenty twelve twenty thirteen was quite different than after that time. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there there was a moment probably in 2013 or 2014 when I was having a conversation with another game critic friend. And I was like, I think I'm going to make a concerted effort to just be less of an asshole and be less confrontra- confrontational. And uh, that conversation really stuck with me uh, because, like, I don't know what the output is at the end of the day. Like, I thought being confrontational was important at one time. Mm-hmm. And now I don't think that, you know, I think that, that some other way of of interacting might be more important or or that confrontation needs to be. Uh, buoyed by some other affects, right? It can't be one thing all the time. And uh, and they were like, well, yeah, but you're so much better doing that. And I was like, oh, no, that's a problem. I was like, mm-hmm. if, if, my, if the thing that I'm known for being good at is just being confrontational, not being insightful, not being, uh, you know, critical, but in a, in a, a way that enlivens something, but just being confrontational, that that's probably good. So I should probably work on some other stuff. And I don't know. Maybe people still think I am, but uh, comparatively, I'm not. <laughs> I promise. Yes. <laughs> in any kind of way. But um, but but yeah. Anyways, that's a, that's a big system of thoughts. But I think that's a big part of of everything that's going on here. Of this kind of fan response that you're replying to is that you know what the the window of acceptable behavior in 2009 is diff- way different than the window of acceptable behavior in 2011 2012. And that is going to continue to shift um, mm-hmm. in in ways that are good. I think in a in a in an actual in a real world sense, good. 
Um, I think that living through the decade when everyone was trying to be Maddox on the internet or everyone was trying to be low tax sucked. <laughs> it was not good. Uh, even if some of those technologies I have a lot of nostalgia for, like the forum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, uh, using that as a springboard, <laughs> we can talk about the other really big thing that happens sort of extra textually here. Um, actually, I'm going to pause that just to note the small thing, just to get it out of the way, because this is a... Uh, not fun, but maybe potentially mm -hmm. interesting. Um, the scene where Roxy takes a, a drink of a martini and then passes out and the panel fades to black. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Yep. Um, that happened uh, on a day of a widespread Internet protest against uh, SOPA, uh, S-O-P-A. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a bill that was going to Congress, I believe, and uh, basically would have killed fair use on the Internet. Um, and so a lot of websites that day, like, did a blackout as a, a kind of protest. Um, and so just if, you know, something to, uh, like, a little bit of trivia for you, because it's not really uh, integral to understanding how Homestuck moves in, in, in big ways moving forward. Uh, but, like, it's a, a moment where the, the context of the thing being produced is still evident uh, if you have that little, that little footnote. Well, it's also helpful, too, for thinking about uh, like how platforms understand themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so uh, I believe for SOPA, right? That that was when Tumblr turned off for a couple days. Yes, like the the Tumblr as an entity, as a corporate entity, said we are going to stop uh, your ability to access. And there was like a landing page. It was like, hey, this is in front of Congress. If if this bill passed, Tumblr would no longer exist. You should think about calling your congressperson. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was like a political call for action, and I just think that's unthinkable today. Yeah, like can you can you imagine Twitter? You know, uh, going down for a day and then saying like, hey, uh, you know, like having a splash page. Hey, there's a political thing that matters, right? Like, yeah, I they they. Well, I you know I don't want to get too into it, but you, one has to do some pretty extreme things uh, to be even removed from the platform or have one speech limited on the platform, let alone the platform itself taking a political stance. And so, you know, that was a mo that I think that is the last moment that I can think of a major platform taking a political stance. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, I think you're right. So uh, just yeah, little little bit of a uh, uh, contextual trivia there. Uh, Can I ask a question about something before we talk about like a serious thing? Okay. On forty five twenty one. Okay. There, there's this goddamn devil, little cow. Yeah. So he's being animated. Uh huh. I can't believe that little cow is a universal constant. By the way, that no matter what happens, little cow is going to show up. That's mm -hmm. awful to me. I mm -hmm. hate it. And and uh, now that I'm looking at little cow, he does kind of look a little bit like uh, Lord English, which I don't like it, that either. But, uh, so is Dirk moving locale around here or yes. is there another entity who is here? I, the implication there, because this is how bro, uh, moved little Cal pre-scratch, right. right? When, when, right. when bro did his flash stepping fights. So I think the implication here is that, cause you can see Dirk is moving too, right? He's sort of like jiggling. Right. So I think right. the implication here is that, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's so good at this. He's making, he's animating little Cal and also like fist bumping him at the same time. Oh, I see. That's less exciting. I was like, oh my God, there's a, like, bro's got a bro. Dirk got a bro too. <laughs> like, may, like maybe Dave's not dead, you yeah. know, and Dave's running around here doing stuff, but no, it seems like, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was just, just checking. Yeah. 
thought um, I'd get some uh, factual information in here before we talk about some other horrible thing that happened on the internet, I'm sure. <laughs> here we are in the ad break. Woo, ad break. Wow, yeah, everyone's favorite part. Wee. Wait, 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 wait. Ad break, ad break. Boop, 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 boop. I'm making noise so there's no dead air. <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> Oh, uh, we're Range Touch. You're listening to Homestuck Made This World. It's made by Range Touch, an independent podcast media network thing. I, I guess that's those are words that describe what we're doing here. Uh, we do all sorts of things in addition to Homestuck Made This World. Uh, Cameron and I do Just King Things, a show where we read and talk about the books of Stephen King in publication order. Our most recent episode there has been on the magnum opus It, uh, and you can go check that out if you're interested. Uh, We also talk about video games on our show, Too Much Future, uh, which is uh, us working systematically through the Fallout games in kind of a historicist mode in the same way we do here with Homestuck. Uh, And also Game Studies Study Buddies, where we take books of academic game studies, we read them, and try to make them interesting, accessible, and useful to people who don't necessarily have the background or time or experience to make sense of academic books. And right now, for uh, uh, that show, we're in the Summer of Classics, where we are reading uh, just some, like, cool, awesome foundational things that uh, we haven't covered up until this point. So it might be something for you to check out. Uh, Cameron also does another show with uh, Danny, uh, Mages and Murder Dads, where they play through the games in the Baldur's Gate lineage, and they are currently working through uh, Icewind Dale right now. They've already done uh, the the actual Baldur's Gate games. Uh, God, you did... Planescape Torment, the other Torment game. Mm-hmm. You've you've really covered a lot of ground in Mages and Murder Dads, is what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Disco Elysium. Many I know days. you kids love Disco Elysium. Go check out the Disco Elysium Mages and Murder Dads. Uh, but the other thing that Range Touch is about is uh, us trying to make money so we can continue to do this, and I can continue to like devote time in my life to reading hundreds of forum posts that I have already read a decade ago, but now I'm reading them to to make thoughts about them. Uh, and you can do that by supporting us. Uh, Homestuck Made This World would not exist without reader support uh, at patreon.com slash range touch. Kicking us even a couple dollars a month really, really helps. Uh, but the more you kick us, uh, the the more cool stuff you get. Uh, for $10, you will get Homestuck Made This World bonus episodes, uh, which have been on a variety of things. But uh, as I have mentioned or will eventually mention in the main episode that you're listening to uh as as you're hearing this the bonus episode is on the very popular fan adventure prom stuck uh set in an au where all of the kids and trolls are in high school together and they are going to prom it's prom night and uh tensions are high and there's lots of cool goofy jokes and uh fun times to be had and emotions to be to be bared to each other souls and so on uh, so you can check that out if you like. And the other thing you can do is review us. Uh, leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice, but, uh, you know, really, really leave us multiple five-star reviews on those Apple podcast uh, uh, platforms. And if you leave us a five-star review that is funny, then there is a good chance that Cameron will read it on air. Cameron, you got us some reviews? We got a couple. We got Scar Thunder. Fantastico is the subject line. Excellente is the whole review. That's really good. I really like that. We also got a true comrade. 
subject line cool text thumbs up awesome those are our reviews for this time if you want me to read your review leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts for your podcast platform of choice and i'll read it on the show if it's funny and good yeah and i find both both of those funny and good and now i will dump you back into whatever the hell it is uh we are talking about right now so uh hussy a- uh answers some questions on tumblr um one of them Every, everything bad that happens in the show begins with hussy answered some questions <laughs> yeah it kind of does <laughs> So, uh, someone asks a question about how tall Gamzee is. I have referred to this a few times of, like, the tall Gamzee, short Gamzee divide <laughs> in the uh-huh. Homestuck readership. There are people who were very uh, set on the idea that Gamzee was tall. There were other people who thought uh, he was short. Um, during He's uh, depicted as tall. Carcat will ha- would have to be three feet tall for Gamzee to not be tall. Yeah, when we see them in hero mode, uh, when they're on top of the meteor lab outside the green sun in uh, intermission, uh, yeah, Act Six, uh, intermission one, um, like Carcat is weeping <laughs> because mm-hmm. of, I don't remember what page number, but uh, the panel is Carcat is crying because like Sullux has died, <laughs> like one of the Sullexes. There are two of them, and one of them has died, uh, and he's like weeping and like leaning on Gamzee for comfort, and he's like up to Gamzee's shoulder, and Gamzee's like a full head taller than him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think actually this it is specifically these panels that uh, uh, spark this question because someone's like, "Well, wait a minute, how tall is Gamzee?" And uh, someone asks, "Who do you consider the tallest of the trolls?" Hussy responds, my sense is a lot of people's headcanons have Gamzee as the tallest troll. I'm going to go ahead and canonically confirm that Gamzee is, in fact, the shortest troll of all. Busted fan artists. Busted. So that's a response. <laughs> uh, obviously, what a, uh, what a thing to do, right? As as you said last time, um, this is so clearly just like a joke, like, <laughs> but also uh the the thing that happens here, right? The the sort of communication problem that I think is arising, uh, and this I think also ties in with um some of the comments Hussey has made uh in in our contemporary moment about like uh, a cultish behavior in the fandom, whatever that might mean. Um, Hussey is playing fast and loose with the term canon, uh, which in fandom is much more important because there are people who are like fan creators who are like very specifically like I am only interested in canon depictions of X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, there are people, uh, I mean, this may be different today. I have, of course, like drifted away from uh, fandom in general, but like I remember like going through fandom at this time period and before and there were just there were people who were like, if it deviates from canon, don't even show it to me. Like I have no interest in this stuff. So, uh, you know, Hussey like responds jokingly like, well, everyone seems to think that Gamzee is the tallest troll. So just canonically, Gamzee's the shortest. This causes a bit of an uproar <laughs> to the degree that Hussey has to respond again on Tumblr. Hussey says, predictably, that's the title of the post, predictably, 
The primary source of consternation plucked from the last Q&A was the quote-unquote revelation that Gamzee is short, which was obviously a for-the-laughs answer. The real answer is, drumroll, I don't give a shit about how tall anybody is. How tall do you want them to be? That's the right answer. This is generally true of physical traits. The basic element of abstraction in Homestuck disallows clear-cut answers on a number of things. They can vary in height if your imagination demands it, and they can vary in weight. Want them to be a bunch of chubby kids? You got it. Uh, sidebar here. This is another question that is very consistently being asked of Hussey is like, what are the weights of the characters? Are any of the characters chubby? Uh, and so mm -hmm. on. Uh, back to this answer. And this is this is where where it happens. They could be any race too. Note that I am Caucasian and I draw myself orange. I don't see no orange kids there. Can't really pin them down as definitively white, though this is likely the widespread presumption. They are canonically a-racial and elude concrete bodily proportions through diversity of stylistic representation. You decide what they are. The thing you decide is right. Okay. There's more to work through here. <laughs> okay, Andrew Hussey. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I guess I, give you some time to respond to that. To say. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have any response. That seems on face ridiculous. Yeah. Um, right? Like, yeah, the... Uh, it seems, based on the racial representations that occur in the comic, that... Uh, <laughs> to say that to say that the styles that show up in in these kids right because mm -hmm. trolls or whatever right i don't know that's like way out that's beyond whatever i can handle i think at this given moment in my life uh to talk about the racial representation of the trolls but these kids right they okay fine like uh it, they are whatever race you want them to be because they're like paper white right mm -hmm. and and so that means you can do whatever you want but they like come with aesthetic and cultural signifiers that like mean things right uh -huh. they like exist beyond that they're not just like a sketch right they are like things that happen in time with context and they have uh paratexts that surround them and all kinds of stuff like that right mm -hmm. um and so like I, it seems that this just seems like on face ridiculous, mm -hmm. right? That that they are what they are that they are whatever you want them to be, and that they're definitely not white characters mm -hmm. because they are depicted as such and mm -hmm. positioned as such and talked about. I mean, look, I, it, here's the real thing, right? Um, universality. I think I think that Hussey is correct in some weird way in the sense that they are kind of universalizable characters that could be anything you want them to be. Within that context, the universal here is figured as white. Mm -hmm. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yes. Right? Like, so mm -hmm. sure, they're universalizable if your imagination of the universalizable is middle-class whiteness in the United States. Yep. So, okay, sure. Like, I guess that's technically true, and I'm sure that fan artists and uh, fan fiction writers and all kinds of things have taken this... Um, I don't know statement about canonicity and, and ran with it. I'm sure that there are, uh, you know, non-white versions of these characters that are running around. But I think that if you, I think the position of like, they were not race to begin with and whatever you brought to it is your own problem. I think that is maybe dodging <laughs> the reality of what this comic is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's intensive focus on white middle-classness and like Dave's, 
the the whole joke of Dave in the first two acts is that he's like the white irony bro. Okay. Right? The whole <laughs> the, the the whole joke of of Dirk here is that he's the white rapping kid. Yep. Right? So, like that's the joke. So so <laughs> I, am I, I, is Andrew Hussey about to hoist me so hard? I don't understand. Like, you have to be willfully uh-huh. ignorant, I think, to not think that's the context that's being delivered. All right. So, uh, uh, Hussey says, uh, ha- said in that thing that I just read, the kids are canonically aracial. Uh, okay. Using the powers of my omniscience and my memory, I'm going to uh, fly back to Form Spring, where this question first came up. And mm-hmm. uh, how Hussey phrased it there was like, you know, the kids are uh, the kids are aracial. And this is like within the same response. The kids are a racial. They can be whatever race you want, uh, except they're obviously not black, which is very racist of me. Um, right, 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 right. That is presented as a joke in a way that suggests the a racial thing like you can't really pin that down. Not, I'm not saying it's impossible. Sure, sure. I'm saying, right, like the way like the way that that uh, idea gets introduced that these kids are a racial, which at this point happens, I think, like mm-hmm. two calendar years before this, um, like it is presented in a joke response. Right. So like why on earth would anyone have spent the last couple of years like sort of treating that seriously? Because it was genuinely such an asshole on the Internet, like Maddox Lotax uh, tone of response. So now on Tumblr, after the thing I just read, uh, this kicks off a huge wave of discourse within the fandom, and Hussey uh, chooses to respond to one particular post, um, uh, which goes like this. Oh, come on. This race answer is unmitigated bullshit. Don't try to eke out a tiny bit of totally undeserved race representation cred uh, when you are indisputably portraying eight white kids in a row. Hussey says... Before you read Hussey's response, it is fascinating that the form of the response is you're trying to get you're trying to get like some freebie race representation. Not isn't it pretty weird that you made a comic that is entirely populated by white people? Right, right. Uh, Which I think would be the form of the argument today, right? It's just like what what's going on here, right? But it's like you're getting some undeserved credit here, and and this ties anyway. No, and this ties in with like the character has to say they're gay. Right, 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 right. Yeah, right. This is kind of like a confessional, evocative, everything. Everyone's stat lines have to be invisible at all times, right? Mm-hmm. The stat block has to be there. Yeah. Um, but okay, so Hussey's response so is Hussey says, This is a racist response. They are only quote unquote indisputably white because of the social and cultural associations you are making yourself between the backgrounds and behaviors of these characters and those you assign to white people as general rule. Let's look at John's situation, an average looking suburban middle class household run by a generic looking businessman father who smokes a pipe. Culturally, there is plenty about this situation that says white America, but citing any of this as strong proof that they're white is what's racist. Are you saying a Hispanic family couldn't find themselves in this situation? In either this universe or a non-fictionalized U.S.? Are you saying a black kid wouldn't behave like John, or an Asian man wouldn't possibly style himself as a throwback-era father? What exactly are you saying here? Um, and this is a very, very long response, and I'm not going to work through it, but like this this is, I think, worth noting because of how yeah. uh, it shows it is, a, it is a response to the thing that you were trying to lay out, but it also is a response that shows how Hussey thinks through this in a way that is still kind of missing the point. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the thing about that response is, yeah, sure, that is absolutely true. Right. Um, uh, in the sense of like the the infinite variability of the human being means that any possible uh, uh, like context or contingency of what a human being is doing it, within a racial schema is possible. Mm-hmm. Right. But within a media object, there are things that get associated with certain media representations. Right. Um, and so it's a really interesting maneuver what he's doing, which is saying that because human life is infinitely variable, uh, any kind of reading that you you are doing with the text itself uh, can't possibly, you know, is representable within infinite uh, variability. So then, therefore, any conclusion you come to that this is one exact thing is disproved by the set itself uh-huh. of like possible interactions. I mean, it's the ultimate. It's it's the ultimate maneuver. There mm-hmm. there is nowhere to go from this in the sense of like. One could respond to any given media criticism about any form of racial representation, believability, anything like that in this way. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, now, like, like uh, if, if you care about the scholarship here, right? So, I, you know, I write around these, this precise issue, actually. I write about this issue uh, in my upcoming book, and I, I've written about it in a few different places here, right? You know, there's a long history in the context of science fiction, I should say. Because uh, there's a long history of people in science fiction, so Adilufunama, um, uh, uh, oh gosh, race in American uh, science fiction, Isaiah Lavender. Sorry, I just I had to talk through the whole title to get there. Right, there are plenty of people who have written from the context of race, like what happens in a science fiction work in which race and the historical construction of race in our world either doesn't exist, meaning, so like Star Wars, for example, right? The history of chattel slavery does not exist in Star Wars. So what happens to race, to blackness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens with to Lando? What What is up with Lando Calrissian's raced existence in Star Wars in a world in which race does not exist, you know, quote mm-hmm. unquote, in the way that we think of it in the world that we live in? Um, you know, similar to, uh, uh, you know, um, I mean, any given kind of like, uh, science fiction, dystopia, things like that, right? Uh, real world racial histories kind of go away. So, so uh, this is all to say, right? Like within fictional representations, this is always the Trump maneuver, right? To be like, and not the human being, but like, the, like yeah. the Trump card, right? Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> like this is always the maneuver you can make to say, like, hey, you've overread or underread what's going on here. You have mistaken the representation for the truth, or the truth itself can kind of override the representation. Um, and so, like, again, you just look to what are the historical signifiers that mean something and what is the uh, other set of, of signifiers within the text that are communicating certain information? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just have to, like, make a call. Do you think that looking at these, like, as a human being who reads this thing, do you think that reading these these characters as eight white kids is reasonable or do you think that reading them as eight white kids is unreasonable, right? You have to exercise some judgment here. And I think that what, you know, the maneuver that Hussey is doing here is like this weird conceptual technicality, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like analytic philosophy in that way, right? Yeah. Like it is this technicality that like ultimately, yes, sure. I guess that could be true, right? Like there's no reason that couldn't be true. And yet looking at the thing in front of me and having read the whole thing and thought about it pretty intensely for, oh, I don't know, 4,500 pages or so, 
Uh, I think it's patently on face silly <laughs> to make this assumption that us is making. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think that it's the, it's a great escape hatch uh, for having to get out of questions of racial representation. But, you know, looking at people like um, Isaiah Lavender's black ground, right? The kind mm-hmm. of racial context that exists behind a work and behind the context of characters. Uh, exactly, you know, what we were talking about, this kind of notion of the white rapper being the joke. You know, uh-huh. that shows up a few times here because uh-huh. that is the joke uh-huh. uh, that would suggest to me that there is a form of, of racial representation or racial schema as, as the, the language is, is used um, that uh, over determines this whole thing. Right. So, well, that's a long elaboration of saying, like, I don't believe this response is real and true. <laughs> I think it's silly. I think that Hussey maybe could have kept their mouth shut on this issue. Well, we're not done yet. <laughs> oh no just take the l andrew <laughs> come on so uh this post as i said is pretty long and it goes on to kind of rationalize this whole thing by saying that like notice that homestuck is a uh, a heavily templatized story universe that's a direct quote um and then hussey hmm. works through all the ways that uh, all the things that we've talked about before how how so clearly all of this stuff is templated where it's like you know what's your planet what's your land what's your strife specifus etc 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 um and hussey says uh, you know, these these characters were kept uh, uh, their skin tone. This is another quote. Their skin tone is religiously left blank, blank, not as in white per se, but as in non affiliated as if they were lifted from a coloring book. Uh, it is this way because the abstract that ab- abstraction rules this universe. Absolutely. Abstraction rules their identities, the way they're named, the qualities of their guardians, etc., etc. Um So uh, this is all kind of like this, you know, uh, uh platform being put together to say like you can do whatever with these characters which i am not opposed to right obviously like i i think that this is fine but it is one of these moments of like well you're acting like we were supposed to know that thing that you said two years ago that read very much like a joke like about these characters as a racial was actually you being sincere um and I don't like like if if there's like a communication issue happening here, this is a part of it is like it is not clear when you're so, and we talked about this last part of it as well. It is not clear when you're supposed to take Hussey seriously and when you're not. Um, and, and they make matters worse. So this this whole response happens and people point out, as you just did, that in the comic itself, John says that bro is a white dude who raps. In response to this, and like, t- yes, right? <laughs> uh, these ki- these characters were religiously kept blank, except here are the multiple points in the comic where they are referred to uh, with their skin tones. It's like Kill Bill Siren starts playing. <laughs> <laughs> so in response to this, Hussey goes back to that chat log and retcons it. Changes the word white in front of like it's the phrase is like white dude who raps or like lame white rapper or something that that John says changes it to changes the word white to a series of nonsense characters as if there were like a textual glitch. Hmm. And uh, people are like, what the fuck? And then this is a piece of fan art that gets produced uh, to commemorate this moment uh, that I'm sitting in doubt. Just retcon it. So you're right the whole time. Right. Like that. Um. Let, let me say one additional thing while you're like summoning up some fan art here. Uh, you know, if, if you've ever done any research into critical whiteness studies or if you're curious about that, kind of the big name in that for a number of years or, or someone who is like a, 
a figure that many people go through to get there is Richard Dyer. And Richard Dyer's uh, kind of whole thing in analyzing whiteness, this is happening in the 80s and the 90s. There's obviously more contemporary stuff you could look at. But Dyer's big thing is that uh, whiteness actually produces itself as unraced. Uh-huh. Like that, that is, in fact, the function of, of whiteness as mm-hmm. a kind of uh, social racial schema is to suggest that uh, whiteness is the condition of not having race and then everyone else is special there, right? Everyone else is raced and marked. And, and whiteness is unmarked. And so, in fact, if you were going to create an elaboration or an illustration of what Richard Dyer means like that, you might create a bunch of white characters that were paper white and then say they were never raced to begin with, just if you were doing a thought experiment, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let me look at this fan art that you're doing. What in God's name is the... Oh, oh, that's... Is that the, the series of nonsense <laughs> yes, characters, that I is, guess, that you're pointing So I, the, what I've sent you is an animated GIF that is uh, the series of nonsense <laughs> characters. And it's like over... It's like, whoa rainbow colored over like a big rainbow background and it's constantly fading in between that and like a star field with dave's floating head on it and it just says uh underneath homestuck by andrew hussey and it's just alternating between these nonsense characters and like dave's floating head well, if you want to learn a little bit more about this, weirdly enough, you can listen to our Game Study Study Buddies episode on Soraya Murray's On Video Games, because mm-hmm. uh, she works extensively with Dyer in one of those chapters, and you can get, hear us walk through her making that argument. So you can check that out if you want. It's on Game Study Study Buddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a what a gift to make. Yeah, so Hussey does this retcon. It... it, it uh, exacerbates tensions even more and then Hussey has to make finally another post uh saying that uh you know uh I and this is put it put it in scare quotes I uh scare quote retconned a single word in the archive with the uh with this gibberish for a while because I thought it would be funny and it definitely was hilarious I understand that not everyone thinks all of my e impulses are a total riot though and Hussey sort of walks through and says um, uh, you know, so sometimes like when I was just like writing, like I just thought of these kids as white, you can make these kids whatever you want them to be. Uh, the only thing at the end of the day that I am calling racist is uh, saying that these kids have to be white. And again, I'm totally on board with this because I think all of the stuff that is going unsaid here, like I think one of the reasons these questions keep coming up uh, are because of the the dynamics that are happening in the fandom where things have to have labels or have to be sort of canonically marked and people want to have those labels. Uh, there are people who only, as I said, want to engage with canonical representations of, of characters and events. And there are people in the fandom who are very vociferous of about these kids all being white and they must be white. And so Hussey is kind of trying to argue around those people, I think, without acknowledging them or rather like Hussey does acknowledge them. Hussey says like what I am calling racist at the end of the day is you looking at this comic and saying these kids have to be white in, in your fan art, in your fan fiction. Right. Um, And uh, you know, I, I, I think this is like, in, in kind of like a big picture sense, right? I, I appreciate the idealism here, right? <laughs> of wanting mm-hmm, to yeah. have a kind of uh, set of characters that people can kind of customize to, to what they want them to be and kind of like what they think would be interesting or what would make that feel compelling to them. Um, and I don't think that the best way to deal with your racist fans is to like circle 
circumlocute around like their insistence that these characters have to be white uh and Mm -hmm. you know and for for, and like for what it's worth i am glad like this is all a huge mess also also this happens on martin luther king jr day oh weird yeah uh which of all you couldn't just let this sit for two days dude (laughs) like oh man um so that like that that's just a weird thing uh but you know at at the end of the day like i'm i like i think this is huge and awkward but i am glad it happened because there were also there was also a whole sort of like uh steer of fan production that was about uh like uh race swapping quote unquote the kids and being like wouldn't it be funny if all these kids were black and doing just a whole bunch of racist jokes like there were fan adventures right. that that was the entire conceit um mm. and so uh, uh yeah like uh uh here is hussy uh, as i've gestured to in previous part episodes like uh trying to uh create this weird collaborative uh way of thinking about uh Fiction generally, maybe, but this specific fiction and how it operates in a way that is um, trying to be as inclusive as it can be, but also, uh, I, I would say, maybe like soft exclusive, right? Like th- there, there's something like up until this point, it seems like Hussey has almost been allergic to just being like, uh, all of these people are wrong, except in, in cases where it's like about a very specific thing about like, you know, the imp becoming a wayward vagabond or something like that. Um, right. Hussey is, is very often committed to, as, as you put it before, everyone being right. Everyone's interpretations get to be right in, in whatever game that we're playing. Um, and this is like weird and messy and like, you know, internet drama in kind of its purest form. Uh, but I do think that the I think the the intentions are noble. I do think that the intentions are good. I just think that we have a whole bunch of people who uh, are talking to each other online. And maybe uh, there's a problem with talking to each other online and how that mediates our communication in terms of uh, well, em- emphasizing our asshole characteristics. <laughs> Well, partially that. I, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I, I'm not I'm not going to be, you know, I, I love to be a naive determinist, but I'm not going to be one in this instance. And the mm-hmm. reason for that is that I think partially what's being seen here, and this is the other side of the, you know, whatever, the, uh, the, the Tumblr teens got to Hussey, right? This is the mm-hmm. other flip side is that uh, uh, Andrew Hussey is a human being who mm-hmm. changes in time, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the the, uh, the production of this thing and and doing this kind of what we've you know called um, in terms of Michel Foucault's idea of the author function, right? Of like the the author is this thing that we compile a bunch of stuff onto, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the stuffs that makes up an author is actually a human being, mm-hmm. right? Like like somewhere down in there in the muck and the mire of all of the additional kind of uh, context and text you write onto this figure and gets written by this figure onto themselves is actually a human being. And, you know, it can just be the case, right? That, that over the course of, of working on this project for a couple of years, Hussey comes to the point of like wanting to a be softer in some ways. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in, in terms of like not being as aggressive, not being as asshole whatever. Right. And, and wanting to make characters less of those qualities, those kind of internet user qualities that were very common a couple of years before, but are kind of disappearing or transforming. Um, so, you know, that's one of the things and, and, uh, two, they could legitimately want to do exactly what you just said, right? This kind of goal, this enviable, I guess, in some ways goal of like, Hey, do whatever you want to with these characters. I don't care. That's like clearly why you enjoy this thing. Huge number of fans. 
go hog wild, have a good time with it, right? Mm-hmm. The the uh, the mistake to me, right? And, and it, I'm just repeating what you're saying, but kind of in, in slightly different terms. The mistake to me is that is still being done through the Maddox-y kind of voice, the, yes. the low-taxy kind of voice of the hussy authorial character. The hussy authorial speaking character who is answering these these um, you know Tumblr asks, that character is an old character in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. And so it has to be my, my plan the whole time. My master stroke yes. has gone off, right? You have made the error. That's the rhetorical frame in which this is being made as opposed to what, where they get to what you just read, which is like, hey, look, I just don't want people to be weird racist assholes about this, right? Like these characters I kind of made as white characters, but ultimately you can do whatever you want to with them because there is no canonical race to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in a, in a moment where canonicity matters from some people, I am here to say, ignore it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter, which, which seems fine to me again i think that still has a lot of you can't just uh uh disperse with race in that way that's not how it works that's not how racial schemas operate mm-hmm. um they they continue to haunt even if you disavow them right these characters still are paper white everything i just said about richard dyer is still true but the messaging that you're putting out about that matters a huge amount right mm-hmm. like that that's a big deal and um and so it's interesting, I guess, to me, what is happening. There's a friction that is has emerging in this the pivot point here, right, between the hussy authorial speaking character and maybe the desires of hussy, a human being who makes a web comic, mm-hmm. and those are not the same thing, right? Just in the same way, you know, we said this earlier in the show. Uh, I'm 99% sure it made into a final episode, right? But like. The hussy who writes the commentary mm-hmm. in the books that we often found a lot of issues with, right, is both a later hussy and is also a character, right? Mm-hmm. It's this kind of exaggeration of a human being. And so, uh, you know, when we were poking at those ideas, right, we're poking at a rhetorical form. We're, po- we're poking at a voice-ness, right, that isn't necessarily a human being. It is this author function, this kind of combinatory being that produces the work, right? That is mm-hmm. not reducible to physical flesh and blood because that's not what authors are mm-hmm. uh, in that Foucauldian sense. Um, and this is another moment of that tension emerging. So uh, fascinating. Yeah. W- what a weird thing. I'm, I'm really glad you put it that way because that is, uh, in fact, how I've conceptualized this before. Because even, even in the Something Awful thread, actually, I make this post where I'm like, so clearly what happened is Hussey started writing this, uh, changed their mind. And rather than just saying that, there's this whole like, uh, like apparatus of this was my plan the whole time, this mystification of the act of authoring Homestuck uh, that I think is counterproductive to what Hussey wants to happen, which is for people to chill the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and that's also, yeah, you say uh, when we talk about the book commentary, it's because we're poking at the rhetorical form and that's exactly it, right? There is like... As someone who watched this happen, who made that post in early 2012, and then years later reads the book commentary where Hussey just kind of keeps that machine going, it's uh, disappointing, I guess, is the word that I want to use in the sense of like, come on, like, come on, like, you can talk about this in a straightforward way uh, that doesn't, or that like diffuses some of this, or that like you know, countenances the fact that this is an object that is made in time, uh, that it is like subject to changes in focus and force. Um, but those are those are things that, for whatever reason, can never be like put at the forefront when we're discussing these matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Um, yeah, and that's uh, uh, kind of the 
I I don't know if this is what the when when the fandom refers to white stuck. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. if this is the specific moment that they're referring to, uh, but I, it's definitely a prelude to it because uh, we're going to come back to this question of these characters and their race. I will say fascinating it's it's very interesting that there are many things that are not kept up through the entire run here things come and go <laughs> the question of the race of homestuck characters apparently remains strong um stuff to talk about um you know just thinking about the, the comic itself uh it's interesting that that dirk is still like a ironic anime guy mm-hmm. you know talking about his uh uh, uh otaku sword yeah. oh yeah so many people were like uh, uh one of the big things happening in the thread before these characters get named and revealed one i didn't talk about this at all but like name speculation is off the charts uh and it's just very funny because like dirk dirk in and of itself is a name right that's fine it's it's it could have been any name Correct. uh but people are like really pulling for dick <laughs> as the name right of course um but they're like it, uh, we know it begins with a d because of clues we get in uh six one um but uh the like just just the off the wall like someone was like i want this guy to be named robert <laughs> and it's just very funny to imagine like the alternate universe Strider. yes cool um that that's happening but yeah they're also speculating about uh personalities so roxy was like you know oh i bet she's gonna be kesha and for for dirk it's like oh i bet he's gonna be like a channer um they're just like the personalities that they were before yes right i mean they are they are exactly the personalities of you know we only get a sliver of them but you know that sliver in the case of dirk just gets exploded into more stuff he cares about but you know and i guess being a brony yeah. Um, which which uh, puppets have been, I mean, puppets are still around, but the, the intensive fascination with puppets has kind of been aligned with bronyism here, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there's also uh, an interesting, so uh, Dirk has that sweet bro and hella Jeff tattoo on his shoulder. I was just looking at that. That's on 4526. And I love that that, that tattoo is all in shitty jpeg quality too yes <laughs> like that it's a face but the you know it's just the line art but the line art sucks yes <laughs> and, and i think that's very funny people had to go get that tattoo immediately oh, right so here's the thing that people already have that tattoo that's a tattoo that oh. andrew hussey has oh i see yep Andrew Hussey got that tattooed on their shoulder. Uh, and so uh, you asked last time about the Hussey bot, and I uh, sort of gestured at some of um, the connections there with uh, uh, Dirk as the roboticist and, and uh, Hussey as the author. So here Dirk is kind of carrying on this tradition of being um, a few degrees closer to Hussey in in some ways uh, as a figure than the other characters. Uh, another good example of this is the Detective Pony book. That uh, uh-huh. uh, he sent to Jane. What do you know? What I'm talking about? Uh, well, that's real, right? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. So maybe okay. So uh, uh, on page uh, 4438, uh, this is where this gets yeah. introduced. Um, Dirk sent Jane a uh book uh called Detective Pony, and it's from a it's part of a a real young adult series called uh, Pony Pals by Jean Betancourt, which is a a, a pre Harry Potter style like young adult series. So uh you know something like The Babysitters Club, Sweet Valley High, or something like that. Uh, which is very different, right? Like uh, Harry Potter really warps what young adult fiction looks like. 
Because before, you could just have, like, a setup. Here are some friends. Here's the thing that they have in common. Like, the thing that their life orbits around. And here is 55 uh, 100-page books uh, where they have uh, uh, repetitive issues. So this is about some girls who who have some ponies. Uh, and Dirk has, like... Uh, vandalized the book, like gone through and like written commentary in the margins and like replaced the text and like renamed characters and things. Um, so uh, the this is not real, but it is based on something that Hussey did, which was by a book called Wizardology, which was like a, a big right. like okay yes right, right, right. right I think I've mentioned this before and it was like. Uh, it, there's like another one that's like for dragons or something. Uh, and it's just like a, a, a book of uh, like weird clip art and information, uh, public domain crap that's all been like put together. And Hussey through Hussey went through and like vandalized the whole thing and like filled it with jokes talking about how gross wizards are. And uh, you can still find this if you um, search for it. Uh, be warned. It's got uh, like some, uh, you know, trademark old school hussy racism and like edgelord humor in it. Uh, but here we have like this being done by another character in the comic to this uh, young adult book. Uh, you know, just conceptually, it's very funny. I like the fact that uh, one of the characters gets changed to the city of Pawnee, Indiana. I think that's very funny. Right, right. Because um, Parks and Rec is the funniest thing that you can enjoy in the year 2011, <laughs> and that that <laughs> Act Six is dominated by by Parks and Recreation jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing has has felt more a weirdly enough. Nothing else in this comic has felt as like weirdly aged as that. Yeah, like uh, Jane the, being really the, into <laughs> Parks and Rec and Arrested Development. Right. Uh, the Arrested Development thing doesn't even feel that weird, honestly. It's it, it. There's something about Parks and Rec that's like, ugh. Yeah. I mean, but because but because like Arrested Development, huge number of issues, right? Like it, like we've talked about it before. You know, the, the lots of things uh, in the humor don't don't tra- they don't work in 2022, right? Mm-hmm. But it is in the like pantheon of like comedy shows that made an impact that were big, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it was a big like a rock war show, right? In the sense of like. It was a comedy show that was mainstream that like poked fun at the Iraq war. And as we've talked about on the show many times that like the Iraq war had a big impact. Right. Mm -hmm. But, and so it's like, Oh yeah, I could see someone like, I understand why arrested developments in there. Mm -hmm. Right. Like why is in the same way of like, if Mr. Show showed up here, I'd be like, I get it. Arrested development also sets the pattern for like repeating jokes and iterating on them that Homestuck takes up. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. I don't know what I expected. Uh, I don't know what I, I expected is it keeps happening. Yes. <laughs> it is the same joke. Uh-huh. In fact. <laughs> yeah, it just happened again. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes. Uh, it's, it's the exact same and it works the same way and that's fine. Right. That's totally cool. Uh, it's a joke format. Uh, but Parks and Rec is such a like of its moment of this like Obama era, like wide eyedness. Um, that, that basically doesn't work at all. You know, like it just doesn't have a vibe, you know, Joe Biden being like, 
the funniest joke on earth in that show mm-hmm. is feels nightmarish today yeah. <laughs> in 2022 to me. Um, I don't know. I, just, I, you know, and maybe that just has to do with like the era we live in and blah, blah, blah. And maybe we'll feel differently about it 10 years from now. But that really is the thing that I've hit this and been like, Oh yeah. Like Ron Swanson and ordering all the bacon and eggs. Uh-huh. That's, what a funny joke. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Hussey says uh, in, in the Tumblr asks, uh, that they like Parks and Rec, right? This is this is genuine appreciation. Uh, I think one of the interesting effects that it has in terms of like this thing being, you know, finished but also suspended in time is it does give you some like it. Weirdly enough, it adds a different note of characterization to Jane as this uh, old fuddy duddy, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that, you know, even even in 2011, it was like or yeah, 20 well at this point 2012, but. Even then, it was like, okay, she's a 15-year-old who's really in, like, she thinks Ron Swanson's hot. Okay, like, that can happen, but, like, that's a particular type of girl. Like, that girl's got to have some, like, perspectives on the world. (laughs) Like, uh, uh, just, like, what I really want is a man who eats lots of breakfasts and builds canoes. Okay. But uh, anyway, uh, this de- the detective pony thing uh, where like one of the characters who's like mm-hmm. initially just some girl in this uh, gets transformed into the entire city of Pawnee, Indiana. Uh, how this how the whole thing is described uh, here is so it starts out with Dirk like marking things out or changing character names and things like that. Uh, and then it says later about halfway through the book. Rather than see the gag through to the bitter end, Strider began pasting over entire pages of original text with his own completely rewritten version of the story while keeping all the chapter titles. His revision is a tough, emotionally draining read, but it's cathartic in all the worst ways possible. (laughs) He tends to get carried away with his projects. Um, Two things. One, this becomes a very famous fan work, uh, or it's the springboard for that. And the fan work is called Detective Pony. It's by Sonnet Stuck. And Sonnet Stuck just takes like the first couple pages that we see here and then literally goes through and does the rest of the Detective Pony book in this style. Mm. Um, Mm. And follows this kind of mandate here that like halfway through, like it just becomes a different story as like Dirk starts pasting over other things. Um, so we've got that hussy connection as well with the wizardology thing. But the other thing to note here uh, is that this is what hussy has done with the never ending story with Homestuck itself. Uh, taking yeah. right, taking someone else's uh, children's like young adult novel, uh, putting in a whole bunch of swears and like sort of, you know, uh, teehee, aren't I being naughty kind of content, um, but keeping kind of all the operational principles the same. And now here we are halfway through and uh, we are getting kind of the the most direct uh, or like, as I've said before, like what I think are kind of the most sincere, like, uh, like this is a story I want to tell from Hussey. Right. Like because uh, so many of these ideas uh, that are going to show up in Act Six come out of uh, something that was unfinished in Wizardy Herbert. And it does seem to be like that there are things things are going to start coming up here that Hussey has been thinking over for a long time. I mean, we can already see that with kind of the extremely philosophical cast that, for instance, Dirk himself has. Uh, We didn't talk about it in the previous uh, part episode, but Dirk has this whole like spiel he gives to Jane about irony and how the trick about irony is 
uh, to be ironic, so people think that you're, like, uh, meaning the opposite of what you say, but you can get so ironic that you mean actually, sincerely, the thing that you're saying ironically, right? You find the truth within within the joke. Uh, yeah. Wow. Compooner. Pooner, yeah. Compooner. Uh, and then we also have you, you. Yeah, we get even more of uh, this weird little gremlin. Yeah, people people are like, oh my god, uh, she's a fan troll. Uh, right? I mean, yeah. Where, where what's what's the page for the for that? Uh, which oh, which part? Because we get a couple of shots. Where you, where you see the horns? Oh, I didn't write down the page number. I didn't either. I'll I'll find it. Yeah, you can keep talking. Um, fan troll. I mean, the the second that uh, you you like first you know, message Jane back in, in the reading for the previous part episode, people were like, oh shit, it's the 13th troll. Because that was, you know, an old, old uh, uh, kind of fan theory. When's there going to be a 13th troll? Um, Ooh, got it. And the 13th uh, zodiac sign uh, is Ophiuchus, uh, uh, which is represented by a snake. And uh, when UU messages people, uh, their symbol is a caduceus, right? Two snakes intertwined around a, a staff. So people like immediately put this together and they're like, oh yeah, this is the 13th troll. Um, uh, she's also associated with like lime green colors, which is, you know, the color of the curtains of Homestuck now. And it's also the the blood color that Carcat would have in the Alternian hemospectrum if he were not a mutant with red blood. Okay. Yeah. I'm just, How do we know that? Uh, oh, because uh, it's the color of your little thing. The color of my little thing. He, yeah, they uh, aren't aren't the colors of the blood the same colors as the uh, symbol on their chest. Is that oh, not true? Uh, I mean, maybe, probably. Yes. Oh no, his symbol is great. Yes, his symbol is great. Right, I don't remember. Uh, but um, uh, people like I, I don't know if this is a thing that Hussey has said specifically or if it's something that people have worked out. But like the trolls move uh, through colors in like I think fairly like they move through the color spectrum in fairly regular intervals. So there is like a mm -hmm. shade of green that should be where Carcat is. Uh, that he does not have. It's uh forty five sixty five is where you see the horns and you see yeah the the the, the a sleepless staff up there. Yeah, it's probably one of the greatest moments in cinema history in uh, in Black Dynamite. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about the scene where they're like puzzling out who did what. You know they're like figuring out the plot of the movie. And yes, they're, they're like a staff. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh, that's a great, great bit. It is funny bit. It is. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we got uh, you use gigantic like wavy troll horns, which, of course, mirror the the two intertwined snakes. Uh, and yeah, and people in the thread are like, oh, holy shit. Like she's she's like a Homestuck fan. Right. And she's the one who's mm. uh, like got all this knowledge that she's giving to the characters or like, you know, in some cases refusing to give to the characters because she doesn't want to cause uh, sp spoilers. Um, mm -hmm. there, someone puts this uh, really well in the something awful thread. Yeah. They say it like this, where the original 12 trolls were all based upon internet weirdo archetypes, power gamer, ragey guy, furry, etc. UU is based upon the internet weirdo archetype that Homestuck is responsible for the fan troll. Uh, mm. yeah. And, and, uh, UU has, I'm going to call it. Okay. I'm going to call it. This character's name is going to be Doc Skunch. <laughs> And, you know? and uh, it's going to be those big horns that are that are stuck on a big orb. No, it's going to be a big triangle. 
Okay. <laughs> upside down. A, ba- a big pyramid upside down. Well, what you're ignoring is that we already have a little scratch in this session, and it's that cat. Oh, uh, that's, that's okay. I don't want a little scratch. <laughs> no. I want Doc Scunch. Okay. All right. <laughs> Doc Scunch. What's up with Donald Glover showing up here? Uh, he gets to play Jeremy in the Sweet Bro and Hella Jeff movie. And he died. Yeah, and he died because of uh, uh, you know, the Batter Witch or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you, you is is there to be like I mean, people are recognizing you, you as a fandom kind of character, but also don't know what to make of her. I, you know, mentioned last time she has like a very English or British way of spelling. So, uh, you know, tripping, tripping some flags. Yu uh, Yu is also where, like, it, you know, in case in case it wasn't clear to you, Cameron, uh, when Yu Yu starts uh, dumping all of this stuff about the classes and how they work, uh, this is where class spect analysis uh, is really starting to snap together in the fandom. Uh, oh, it had to be right, yeah. and and I actually love that it's the level of like fan interaction that this character represents or kind of embodies is. is just wild right where it's like uh just making all these like uh it, i mean everything to do with like trolliness uh, trollishness is like yes of course all tr- opposite world mm-hmm. on opposite world you, blah 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 would happen uh i think it's very funny mm-hmm. um but yeah God, this character just starts laying out straight up like class spec stuff that i've like seen in the discord yes right? um but just doing it mm-hmm. and uh, it's fascinating to me yeah uh, people in the thread are actually kind of into it. Uh, you know, they're, they're doing the thing that we talked about. They immediately start going back and reading through, uh, like we get this, we get all of this whole system of like certain classes are active and certain classes are passive. And then people start reading through and like, you know, keeping this in mind, they're like, where are the points where John is being passive versus being active? How is this working with his, uh, uh, class, even though this is not even a thing that's been mentioned, you know, in the first act of the comic and, and things of that nature. Um, right. You you also produces fan art. Uh, we get like fan art of God tier Dirk. And that is that fan art is not by Hussey. Um, that is by an artist named Shelby Cragg, uh, who becomes kind of a big name fan, uh, works on the first Hive Swap game, I believe, and is the artist for Promstuck, the fan fiction, the fan adventure that we are reading on this month's bonus ode, which you can access if you go to patreon.com slash range touch. Um, so it came out today. Yeah. When you're listening to this, uh, we will be discussing, uh, prom stuck and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say more there about, um, uh, you know, how, how, how do, uh, certain fans become big name fans or like, you know, what, what, what is it about fandom where certain people become known to the point that like their work is going to be incorporated into the object itself? Interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm a little name fan. <laughs> Cameron, I'm a little name fan. Here I am. I'm the little name fan. <laughs> I got a lot of heart. <laughs> no one's reading my fic, but I believe in myself. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I contribute a lot, but no one cares. <laughs> I'm just a, I'm a little bitty fan. Oh, goodness, goodness, goodness. <laughs> I wear an acorn for a hat. <laughs> Um, I ride a dragonfly. Woo! Oh, also, I guess here I, I go uh, on the here, here uh, I go to theorize again. Woohoo! 
I've written 7,000 words. Oh, and UU loves to theorize. Uh, also on, on UU, uh, there's this mm-hmm. uh, question of um, androgyny because her username is Uranian Umbra and Uranian is an old, uh, outdated term um, that means, can be made to mean both like, uh, like, you know, queer or like homosexual or lesbian, but also like gender nonconforming. Um, uh, I believe like, uh, I think Oscar Wilde, uh, used that word occasionally to describe Uranian Mm. pursuits. Um, oh, so like Mars, Venus, and Uranus. Yes, exactly. Right. That's yeah. Uranus splits the difference between Mars and Venus. Interesting. Um, and so Hussey, uh, and, and that sort of jives with, uh, uh, Rose's like completed massive wizard fic complacency of the learned where we have this character Calmasis who is uh, noted in the text as androgynous. Uh, if you haven't read the the comic like every time Calmasis is referred to it is always S slash H E right so she and he uh, were, were uh, not in the year of uh, singular their pronouns yet I guess. Um, but uh, that there's there's also something here happening with gender, right? With uh, uh, Yu being um, referred to as as a she by most of the characters, but also wearing like this Kalmasis suit or what appears to be kind of the green Kalmasis suit. And we know that Kalmasis is androgynous and Hussey then uh, makes a kind of clarifying post on Tumblr because people are like, so wait a minute, what are you use pronouns? Um or not, not you, you actually, actually, people are asking about like the Kalmasis stuff. So, uh, Hussey gives like a, uh, post where like they walk through like the idea, not, not in, in depth, but like here are a bunch of like gender neutral or non-binary pronouns. Weirdly enough, they is not a one that they use, uh, but they use a lot of neo pronouns. This of course results in the something awful thread arguing about neo pronouns for fucking ever. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, G. Is that yes. okay? Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but anyway, right. This is again, right. We're we're seeing like the culture of the internet shift, and in fact, like for this reading, the thing that is maybe the most fascinating overall is just seeing how it's all kind of happening together and at once. Like the fact that uh the whole race thing and then this like pronoun discussion happened literally like one right after the other is is simply incredible. Yes. I don't know. Do you have any other any other thoughts? I'm looking at my notes here. Uh, oh, I was looking at uh, Donald Glover didn't just die. He was assassinated. <laughs> <laughs> yes. By uh, by Betty Crocker. By, the, by Betty Crocker. Yeah, for, I forgot that little detail. I guess uh, a question for you is: um, so we know we see that the Queen of Purple is. Aradia's ancestor? No, that's the that's the troll queen, Fafari's ancestor. F- oh god, damn it! This whole universe. Right. <laughs> so what has happened? Right is uh, right. Fafari's ancestor. Right, right, right. The one who was on the uh, on the on the ship. Yes, right. Uh, Aradia's ancestor uh, approached her just at at the end of Act Five. <laughs> Right, uh, right. They made their deal, and now uh, the Batter Witch, uh, the Condess, works for Lord English in the new session, uh, basically fulfilling the same role. Or, like, in some way, right, uh, uh, is doing something for Lord English's plans. Don't worry. We're going to get some explanation of this. Great. Great. 
is it the same character? Like, uh, de- uh, well, we'll find out. Who cares? <laughs> I don't, why am I asking you this? Well, it'll it'll either appear and it'll matter, or it won't, and it, and it doesn't. So yeah. Um, uh, we we get Vriska. How do people feel about slightly nicer looking Vriska at the end? Oh, uh, I mean, you know, uh, one of the great pleasures of this show is being able to make people stop reading on pages like this. <laughs> So you can imagine what it was like for us back in 2012 when uh, the comic was like, and here's another fucking Vriska for you. Like time to time to just drop that and then not address it for a little bit. And so, of course, in in the thread, people are like, oh, my God, another Vriska. As I said, they they, they call her uh, um, they call her kind fang because the general assumption is that she is a younger version of Vriska's ancestor, who is, of course, genetically identical to Vriska, uh, but they grew up in different contexts. So uh, weirdly enough, the thing that makes the most people complain in the thread and in fact gets people to like say, I'm not reading this anymore, is Dirk having the My Little Pony poster on his wall of Rainbow Dash. Uh, okay. Yeah, because they're like, yeah. oh, fucking bronies. I, I'm done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, I guess if that's the straw that breaks your back. Yeah. All right, clown. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, like you, <laughs> you get this far, and it's it's the Rainbow Dash poster that does you in. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Okay, fine, whatever. Yeah. Uh yeah, people are people are sort of excited uh to learn more about what's going on with the Vriska thing. Uh in fact, like people people are pretty chill with Vriska being gone, uh except for in in the last readings uh chunk of of posts, there was a bit where people began to debate like the Vriska Tavros dynamic in extremely like early 2010s like social justice terms uh to the point where like people had forgotten like at some point, someone comes into this conversation and has to remind everyone that Vriska has died as a character and, like, hasn't shown up in several hundred pages. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it's very funny. Like, there's just, like, a whole, like, Vriska digression in the thread. And then they're like, wait a minute, Vriska died? Vriska hasn't done anything <laughs> since dying. Why are we le- relitigating this? <laughs> Look, sometimes that's all you gotta do is relitigate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I guess, uh, unless you have other things, uh, I think I've basically covered all that I want to talk about, right? We've got these, these new characters, we've got Roxy and Dirk, they're a little darker, a little more intense, a little sadder, uh, but they've got plans, right? Well, Dirk does. He's got, he's got all these plans about running his friend's computers so he can make a romantic gesture to, uh, the boy he secretly has a crush on. And I guess we're eventually mm-hmm. going to find out how that works for him. Yeah, I, I think the, uh, I guess I have two really brief things to say. One is that this reading makes it very clear that the kids are prepped for going into the game and starting the game much earlier. Like the uh, the the uh, beta kids, they just like are uh, figuring it out as they go, mm-hmm. right? These kids are like, they're purpo dreaming. They're prospect dreaming every day. Yes. And they know what that is. Right. Right. So so they are like prepped and ready to go. Uh, number two is that, uh, and so that's interesting, right? That that like 
uh, it's kind of what I was talking about before, right? The the war has already begun before the war begins, and so mm-hmm. Jack Noir is also starting the war before the war begins. So that's that's interesting, and probably has some cool implications, like story wise, coming up. I would assume. Uh, and uh, the other thing is they keep uh, they're being attacked in Dreaming World, mm-hmm. and they're being attempted assassinated in physical world mm-hmm. and that's pretty interesting and everyone's like okay with that yeah no it's just like part of the, your day-to-day life you're gonna get blown up maybe yeah no don't get the sense that post scratch earth is a overall great place to be yeah it could be uh it seems like a uh, suburb is bad yeah mm-hmm. and skya might be bad yeah and uh like like if uh you know it's the burroughs quote right you know uh this is a war universe uh-huh. <laughs> like, it seems to be the metaphysics of homestuck in a broad in the broadest possible sense are the universe tends toward more intensive war universes uh-huh um and i don't you know i don't that's that seems like a bummer to me mm-hmm. um but yeah i get we're gonna we're gonna continue on with uh Act six, act two, (laughs) next time, when I ask you to read up to uh, 4,819 for episode seven, part three, which will actually close out episode seven, and we'll move right along into episode eight after that. So we're just, we're just, we're still trucking and still on, on track to make uh, my initial stated goal of a 13 episode series about Homestuck. Oh!